Well, hello there, dear listeners, and welcome to a super special interview with Nalini Singh today on Romance at a Glance. I'm your host, Bridget. With me, as always, is my co-host, Shawnee. What up, Shawnee? What up, Bridget? I'm so excited to be here. Dude, I am stoked. As you know, I love Nalini Singh. Yes, Nalini Singh, awesome Kiwi author of Indian Descent. Yes, she wrote the New York Times bestselling series, The Side Changelings, and The Guild Hunters. Over two dozen novels published. Get out. She, I love her. I crushed the Guild Hunters series and also got an ARC of Archangel Sun. You guys can check out my review on the old website. I thought it was awesome. If you like the series, your tote's gonna like it. And we're giving away a copy. Yeah, we are. Plus a sign nine play. Oh, shit. What the hell is the nameplate? (laughs) (laughs) I asked the same question, Shawnee, and I believe that it is a name signed thing that gets, like, affixed to the inside cover of the book. Although, guys, don't quote me on that because I haven't actually received the copy yet. Yeah, we'll see. (laughs) So, on Instagram Wednesday, head over to Romance at a Glance and follow us so you can see when the giveaway opens. Yes, make sure you follow us so that you guys are ready to enter. As always, our giveaways are super easy to enter. And you do not have to be a bookstagram. If you're a listener and you like her, you just have to have a public account to win. Make sure you tag your friends. Tag all of those great accounts that you love to make sure everybody has a chance. She was super insightful, so funny, so warm. Guys, this interview, like so many before, made our dreams of meeting our favorite authors not only a reality, but also like a real pleasure. Super pleasure. It was great. I love her. All right, let's get into this. Let's do it. Let's get popping. Romance at a glance. Uh huh. Romance at a glance. What'd you say now? Romance at a glance. Go ahead, girl. It's we go. Okay. We are recording. How are you? Oh my god, we're so excited. <laughs> I'm good. How are you? <laughs> very good. Very good. We're doing all right. Pins and needles, waiting for our election results, but otherwise, a okay over here in the U.S. <laughs> Pins and needles is an understatement. <laughs> I know it's stressful day for you guys, right? <laughs> yes, but it's better because we're talking to you. And this is. Seriously, such a big thrill. We're so happy that we could talk to you and have you on the podcast. Oh, it's good to be here. We actually reviewed last year two of your books on the podcast. We've only actually had two authors that we've done two books, so it's very exciting. Um, <laughs> and ironically, even though we've both read like all of the Guild Hunters, Shawnee's read all of the side changelings, we actually did your Rock Hard series. Um and then after we were like, what are we doing? We should have done those ones too. So, <laughs> so, so next year we'll have to get in one of your actual paranormal romances. Cool. <laughs> okay. um, so I guess the, the, the most interesting question to start with is a travel question. Do <laughs> you go visit places in the world just because you're doing quote unquote research, <laughs> but really you just want to go there and you're like, well, I'll set a book there. So I'm just going to go. Cause I'm going to set a book there, but really you just want to go. Um, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting question, but the thing is when I usually want to go to a place, I'm fascinated by it anyway. So I want to write about it. If, if that makes sense. So it's like really, it's not either or. It can be both usually. And quite a few times I've just traveled because I traveled quite a lot. Well, before <laughs> I <Sure>. did. Sure. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, and then I've just, oh, wow, this place is amazing. So I had that experience in um, the Forbidden City in China. 
in Beijing. It's this incredible, incredible place. If you don't know about it, just look it up online. It's basically this ancient um, kind of mini city within a city where the rulers lived. Um, it's it's incredible. Um, you know, all these bridges, everything's carved, and it's just fascinating. And as soon as I saw that, I was like, I, I have to set a book here. I have to do something with this because I can't just let it go. But um, so it's happened that way as well. And then I'm trying to think if I've specifically gone to a place saying, Yes, um, <laughs> I went to India, um, and that was I was I knew already I was going to write a book um, set in that area, so that was really good. I was able to do research, but in most cases, you know, it just happens. It's like I go somewhere, and it's like, oh wow, amazing. Um, I always take you know lots and lots of notes and in- incredible amount of photographs, so that I can use them all. I was in Norway a couple of years ago and um, we're in a boat going through the fjord and I looked up and I said, wow, you could, you could push a person off that cliff there and their body would disappear in the fjord. And I didn't realise the lady next to me was listening to me talking to my sister <laughs> and she just gave me this look and I was like, no, no, fiction, fiction, just for fiction. You're like, it's okay, I'm an author. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. Good question. I had, a, I had a moment like that the other day. I, I forget exactly, but it was just like that where I was like, you know, if somebody just tipped off this thing, nobody would ever see them again and they'd be gone. They'd be yeah. gone. And my friend was like, uh, <laughs> it's, to me, it's just data in my mind. I'm like, oh no, that is a fact of what, what would happen. <laughs> it's just world building, Shani. You're just building a world for a future story. That's all you're doing. <laughs> Or maybe a future career as a murderer. We don't know. (laughs) Uh, One thing we like about your book so much is that you have such consistency. So you write like, I mean, some of your series are 10 books, 15 books, 20 books, but there's never a point in a later book where it like shocks me out. I'm like, that's not true. In book four, such and such told me that this (laughs) happens. And now I know that this whole story is, you know, why didn't she just, you know, use magic or why didn't she just use, you know, whatever, this weapon that I know she has in her back pocket because she told me two books ago, she always carries it around, you know? So we really appreciate that consistency. How do you do that? Do you have like a whiteboard that has it all? Do you have like file folders? How do you keep it all straight? Because you have so many different worlds. Yeah, so when I started, when I wrote my very first series book, which was Left to Sensation, it was the start of the Side Changing series, kind of had no idea how to do any of that. I just, this is the first time I'd ever sort of done a series. So I just wrote the first book and it was all in my head. And then I got to book two and I was like, wow, I need to keep referring back to book one to check stuff because I am, I grew up on science fiction and fantasy alongside romance. So I'm a big believer in world building and really cohesive worlds and maintaining continuity. So because of that, I was referring back constantly uh, to Slave to Sensation while I was writing Visions of Heat. And I thought there has to be a better way. So the first thing I came up with was it was just a simple folder because remember this is one book and then I'm working on book two. So it's two books worth of material. So um, I had in it like maps of the territories where they were moving. I had notes of like how much time I said it took with, you know, their vehicles, their high-speed vehicles. Um, Then I had a page for each character that had like I give everyone a birth date 
because it makes it much easier to keep track of time. Uh, and then I had just basic characteristics, you know, just the high, eye color, high, height, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and then I would have notes, uh, a few notes about emotional connections and things like that. And I also had lists like the list of the Psych Council, the list of the PIC Sentinels, things like that. So it was basically quick reference material that I needed um, as I wrote. And then as the series continued, I realized there was some stuff I didn't really need, like all the relationship stuff is in my head because it's like a constantly running movie. So I don't need to refer, I don't need to refer back to check that because I already know these are like my friends. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, your friends' lives kind of mm -hmm. thing. Um, but I needed more of the detailed stuff because as the cast grows, you know, all the minor details need to be correct. So... I kept it in a folder for the longest time and then um, my sister took pity on me <laughs> and um, she's my assistant now and she set up a wiki for me so it was all cross-referenced. Oh, that's And nice. so I could just, for example, if I was right, talking about Hawk, I could go on Hawk and then it would click through to all the different people that were referenced and it was fantastic and I never used it. <laughs> so I had to apologize to her because I was the one who's like yeah yeah it's a great idea so the thing is when I write I am offline I don't like like I, I don't like any kind of interruption and to me going into a database to look up that stuff was an interruption so we had to come up with another way to get that material in so she still has that database what I have again are the folders because I just like that really um, sort the of tactile. manual, yep. tactile thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and just when I'm on my computer file writing, I still work on Word. So I still have this single computer file where I'm working on, and that's it. That's what I have open on my screen and um, then my folders. But the other thing uh, Ashwini has started to do for me um, and, and I ask her for what I need book by book is basically she'll do a, a manifesto. So <laughs> she did, for example, say I'm going to use, uh, I'll use um, Caleb's book. So for Caleb's book, she would have done a Caleb manifesto, basically gone through every single book and found references where he was mentioned. And then I go back and I reread all of it because the way to maintain continuity with a character is to constantly refresh myself on that character's journey. And, um, also, there's all these little subtle things that are not necessarily facts, but that come through as you're reading the book. You'll know that as a reader, and I need to know that as a writer to do justice to the characters. So, yeah, it's quite complex. So the book I'm writing at the moment, um, there's quite a lot of backstory. Like the reader doesn't necessarily need to know all the backstory, so I'm not putting that in there, but I need to know to maintain right. the continuity for readers who are reading book by book, um, and who can follow all the threads. So like you said, I get really annoyed if an author forgets a continuity point. <laughs> so I don't want to do that myself. So I try my very best, you know, to, I am obsessive about it. Like it can take me a couple of weeks to do the final checks on a book and be like, okay, I need to check this apostrophe because it might possibly change the meaning of this one critical <laughs> sentence, you know? So yeah, it, it is a lot of, um, 
a lot of keeping track of information, but also a lot of rereading because the text is the the core material. I so, and because I of think... the way I write, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, go ahead. <laughs> no, I was going to say because of the way I write, I actually delete a lot. And so there is sometimes information in my head that isn't actually in the book. So I have to be really careful and always reread and make sure that what I'm, what I think the reader knows is something the reader actually does know. Yeah. So long-winded answer there. I think that's a really like a strength because a lot of authors that we've either read their interviews or we've interviewed them ourselves don't like to go back and reread their own books. Yeah. And we're always thinking, you know, like if you've been writing the same series for 10 years, like I don't remember things I did 10 minutes ago, let alone <laughs> 10, 10 years ago, I couldn't tell you some paper I wrote in college. Like yeah. I would have to reread it and be like, oh yeah, okay. I remember where I was going with that and get back in the mood. Do you have a favorite book or a favorite series of yours that you are really excited to go back and reread as you're writing? Well, I actually don't. I think, um, I heard another writer say this, and which was that the book I'm working on at the moment is my favorite, right? And so because I have multiple series, each time it usually is a year between books that I get to write each of these books. And so by that time, I'm just I'm just raring to go to whichever, you know, world I, I've been away from for a year. So, um, yeah, in terms of the rereads, I probably don't reread like a, like a re reader would reread, for example, because so much of it is still in my brain. My sister sometimes says, your brain freaks me out because I will say, oh, look for this, look for this fact. And these are the words that will be in the sentence that you need to, because we have electronic files to search for stuff. And she'll say, it's exactly correct. You had the exact right words. So because so much of the material is in my head, quite often I'm not skim reading, but I'm reading specific areas that I need to refresh myself. And then, um, but I still love what I've written. So I got into writing because I couldn't find what I wanted to read. So I had to write it myself. <laughs> and I still feel that way about the books. Like I still enjoy existing in these worlds. And I particularly enjoy going back to books that I haven't maybe read um, you know, recently because the, the subjects haven't come up in the newer books in the series. So, for example, right now I'm rereading uh, Bonds of Justice, which is a way back in the series. And, yeah, it's really, it's really great to see these characters again. They're like, feel like friends and <laughs> I enjoy the world. And I think that's part of the reason I consider myself like a naturally inclined towards series you know like for me writing series isn't a push it's actually something I have to fight against so I last year I came out with my first thriller and it was meant to be a standalone and I was like oh I could do like a spin-off and then I was like no slap myself because no standalone because I can't can't handle having more series you know I have enough uh, at this point so that's just a natural tendency I have. And I think that same thing feeds into why I can reread because I love being in that world. I love seeing the characters. And it's the same reason I reread my favorite authors. Mm -hmm. Nice. I, have a, I uh, was watching one of your, inter uh, your interviews and there was something you said just about 
um, well, one, I'm like, you must live in your mind. Like there, <laughs> like, <laughs> like it must just be amazing and just like a fun place to like, just check out and live in there. Uh, one <laughs> and two, I liked where you said, um, that you do intuition based writing and that the characters are kind of who they are. Um, and that you kind of have to let them be who they are. And it kind of made me laugh because I, um, there was a time where I was puppet making and I had a very distinct idea of the puppet I was going to make, like it's this <laughs> character and this, you know, <laughs> and it's, and this is the personality of this character. And then something about when you add the eyes onto <laughs> your puppet, you're like, yeah. Oh no, this is not at all who I <laughs> thought they were. And then you end up with a totally different character than, <laughs> than you thought. And you're like, you know what? I just have to go with this. This is who you are now. Um, and so it, it reminded um, me of that. And one thing you mentioned earlier is that you give your characters a birthday. Mm-hmm. And, and this is just a guilty pleasure of mine. Do you at all use their birthday or sun sign or some sort of astrology in the building of that character? No, but that's, um, that can be useful, but that's probably a result of how I build my characters, which is I don't actually build my characters, so to speak. I write my way into my characters. So uh, let's say take Elena Devereaux from the Guild Hunter series. I just started. She's in the alley in the first book. I had no idea who she is and I just go. And that's how I get to know them because I, that's also how I build worlds because I build worlds. What can she see? What can, what does she know? What can she hear? And I feel like it builds worlds more naturally for me personally that way than creating a world and then putting characters into it. And because of that, with characterization, um, it means I don't really know my characters when I start writing. And that means I do multiple, multiple drafts. One time when I was younger and I wasn't published, I was really trying hard to get published, I thought... You know, I had I have author friends who do like a character outline. So they like interview the characters and they have all the information and then they write and they were really successful, you know. And I thought this is a much more efficient way to do this. And I and I did all the work and I just you know, I was all like ready and then I was like, Yeah, nah. Totally have bored. you have you ever written a book and then just been like, This isn't working and just thrown the whole book out? Yes. <laughs> yes. I've um at one point 80,000 words. Oh. Yeah, went. But I mean, I write very fast in those first drafts and that's part of the reason which is I don't want to be forced into keeping material that doesn't work. So I don't edit as I go. I'm literally uh some people call it like the dirty draft. Um I prefer fast draft. <laughs> but um it's literally like telling myself the story. I'm just like, bruh, 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 and this happens and this happens. And then sometimes there's little notes I leave myself and, oh, and things blow up here and then <laughs> I keep going. And so it's really um, getting to know the character by seeing who they are on this journey. And then I get to the end and if it's a good draft, say I like it, then I go back and start again because now I know who this person is. So the first draft, which no one ever reads, except for me, Um, if you read it, you would say it's so flat. It is so flat because, of course, it's flat because I don't know this person yet. 
I'm, they literally are a stranger to me. And so by the end of the draft, that's when the book starts to hold power because, oh, I get this person now. And so I go back and rewrite with the personalities involved, the emotions involved. And that's when the, that's, I call it like my skeleton draft. And then the skeleton starts to have flesh and starts to have clothing, you know, it becomes, it becomes like a, a being in its own right. Does that count for, so like, obviously like, we'll just use Guild Hunters since you just said it, but like the seven you meet at the beginning. So you're writing this draft. By the end, you start to know who everyone is. You start to flush them all out. But then they all go on to have their individual romances. So do you do that same thing for future books too? Like, do you know, like, oh, this book is it going to be about this, you know, or like the Hummingbirds book is about, just is about to come out. Or I guess by the time you guys are listening, hello, everyone, it will have come out last week. And uh, like, did you know, oh, this is going to be about her. So now I'm going to write that skeleton, but knowing she's the main character or how, how does like the future books? Yeah. It's slightly different because I write series quite often by the time I get to a character's book, I already know that character really, really well. And so usually it's not the character I know well that I have to work on getting to know it's, um, if it's, if there's a new character in there, um, that's the character that's going to take, you know, more of the work to get to know. Cause obviously I have spent, um, so the hummingbird is not such a great example just because she's only been around a little bit in the previous books. Um, mm -hmm. but let's say we take one of the seven, like you mentioned, we take Ilium mm -hmm. or Dimitri. Mm -hmm. By the time it's, um, I wrote Dimitri's book, I'd known him for like three whole books. Right. Right. I knew he could be a bit of an ass. Mm -hmm. I knew he had this painful history I knew he had children at some point in time. There was a lot I knew about Dimitri. And so those books are written slightly differently just because I don't need to go. So I, I already know these people. and um, But at the same time, I only know them from the perspective of someone else. Mm. So for Dimitri, you know, we know him from the perspective of Elena and Raphael. And, but we don't know who he is from his own perspective. So that's the journey I have to take. I have to, with each book, I think um, as a reader, I would hope you'd find you learning more about the character because this is their turn in the spotlight. But um, it definitely is easier in some ways to write a series book where you've known the character for a long time just because the personality is, you know, so developed but at the same time, it's also harder because there's all that history that you already know that has to flow into the new mm -hmm. book as mm -hmm. well. Yeah, so it's balancing that out. Yeah. Shani was wondering while we were doing research, what world, if you could live in one of the ones you've created, would you want to be in? <laughs> um, you know, I would love to fly. So mm -hmm. I totally freely admit this. So it would have to be like angels you know, wings or um, a shapeshifter that can mm. fly. And given that the angelic, the guild hunter world is actually quite brutal, mm -hmm. um, much higher chance of a horrible death, I think probably I would go for the, sh the side changeling world. It's, you know, with the, with the pack, you know, the changing packs are a bit warmer and more likely you know, more likely to survive. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, I would be like a winged changeling, I think. Nice. 
get I, I agree. I would that's what I would go <laughs> I mean, the Guild Hunter world, I love writing in it. I mean, uh, I think in one of the first back cover copies, they called it something like uh, cruel and beautiful. And and I thought, yeah, it's perfect. You know, I love that world. I love the the moral questions that come up. You know, there's all these gray areas. And and it's just, just it is beautiful. I think it's probably my more, more visual series in terms of the colors of the wings mm-hmm. and the, the settings and the way people look, but um, it has got that cruelty in it, that darkness in it, that um, I'm more of a warm and fuzzy type, so <laughs> in the other world. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I would have picked that up so much from your writing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe, you know, there's a cruel darkness inside of me somewhere. You know, I'm more cuddles and teddy bear. Now slice up the hands. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Now rain I, fire down on everyone. Everyone. I'm, I'm curious, so um, since you are writing intuition-based, right? So when you, um, you have your main character and they have um, the person they're falling in love with, Mm-hmm. what's important between that dynamic for the connection to work? Okay, so uh, this was something I, I learned quite uh, as a new writer. So I started writing quite young, so really started writing novels when I was um, 18, 17, 18. So I tr- started trying to write full novels. And, um, and obviously... When I was younger, I didn't have the breadth of life experience. So when I go back and read those those first manuscripts, which were never published, you know, they were they were my my attempts. I can see the imbalance. So one of my friends who is a bookseller, she actually did read one of my um, unpublished manuscripts, and she said, "There's a power." One, one character is too strong. Um, that's why it's not working. And I don't mean in the sense, so if you look at Elena and Raphael, practically speaking, he is much stronger, right? He can kill her in a heartbeat. And yet when you're on the page with them together, there's inequality there. They are facing off against each other as equals um, in the emotional sense because she has got grit and she will stand her ground. And so... What I, th- I think that's critical for a relationship um, in a romance to work is to have that sense of equality between the characters, even when um, in terms of external factors, it's a very imbalanced relationship. So another example I want to use, because I don't want to, I think quite often this, um, we start thinking of this as like the kick-ass heroine, um, which is just one facet of strength. So the other example I quite often use is Sasha in Slave to Sensation. Now she's an empath. She can't actually hurt someone without it rebounding back on herself. And then Lucas is an alpha um, changeling, you know, so he is the head of the pack. He's used to being the boss and she is um, quite broken when we meet her and she doesn't have the physical strength. And yet their relationship ends up as equals again. And so it's about knowing each character's strength 
uh, and what they bring to the table. And thinking that if these two are going to be together, you know, happy ever after, forever, what does that mean for these two? What does it mean? What kind of what kind of relationship is going to bring them happiness? Hopefully that makes sense. Aw, squeeze. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have one character that you feel like the most connected to? Like you just loved their love story and you were so happy for them that they made it? Oh man, all of them, <laughs> all of them, because <laughs> I'm pretty mean to my characters, a lot of them, so <laughs> I'm really happy when they get their happy ever after. Um, just in general, though, I, I, I do love all the kids, any of the kids in the books, just because they're, they're like a bright spot in um, no matter what's going on, you know, they've, they're doing their thing, they're being kids, and yeah. That's fun. But yeah, in terms of the, the love stories, I they're all so different. So mm-hmm. I can't I can't choose. I, I guess one I will say is um Heart of Obsidian, because that was a long time coming. And um Caleb and Sahara, you know, we we sort of hear, hear about Sahara in book two, and then it's book twelve by the time <laughs> it happens. So yeah, but then there's there's Hawk, there's Sienna, there's oh, there's so many. There's I mean, yeah. I know, no, I can't choose. <laughs> Can I ask if um is Ilium gonna end up with I don't know how you say his name. I would say Oedhan in my mind, but I don't know how I ask his name. Adam, yeah. yeah. Um because I would like them to be together. <laughs> or maybe they could share one, the one little winged friend between them. They could all be together. <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna answer the question. Oh, but... <laughs> no, you guys, she's not gonna answer. I was hoping to trick her into it. <laughs> um what um, will be will be. It will we'll be. See. Will be. Oh, okay, we'll what have to wait. Be, will be. We'll have to wait till next. Next year, the year after, I guess, because you just published uh, Guild Hunters this year. So yeah, so yeah, it's once a year. So yeah, who knows okay. what what is coming? I will say something. You you do, uh, but obviously the hummingbird is Liam's mother. Mm-hmm. So he does um, he does have a presence in this book. So mm-hmm. there's a little yes. bit of information in there. He does have a presence in this book. Both of them right. do actually. And yes, I liked that. Was actually some of my. Um, my favorite moments were that uh, the sort of back and forth between them throughout the book and how it sort of evolves throughout the story. Yeah, I actually really loved that too. I loved writing um, because the hummingbird and Titus both were interesting character write because they are so old in the motor world. And so they're interacting, especially the hummingbird, she's interacting with even Raphael in a way that's quite maternal. Like mm-hmm. to to her, they're kids. Even though yeah. he's an archangel, Raphael's yeah. still a kid. And of course, Ilium's her baby, you know, her yeah. baby boy. So she's never gonna be like, she's always going to see him as her son. And mm-hmm. so yeah, the, and also Arden, you know, she thinks of him, you know, in that same sort of way. So yeah, it was actually really fun writing those scenes and seeing how they treat her. Cause I think you know a lot about a person by the way they treat other people. Mm-hmm. And so to see their relationship with her, I think builds their characters as well. Yeah, absolutely. Nice. Yeah. Okay, so 
one thing we do love about your books is just how um, diverse they are. Um, and obviously I'm brown and that's very important to me. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed. Um, <laughs> but we just beyond beyond skin, but diversity, we, we talk a lot about diversity of romance, the types of romances that are happening, whether they're um, LGBTQIA, whether it's a menage, whether, you know, whatever it is. So we look very specifically for um, those types of stories to read for the podcast, not just, you mm-hmm. know, the status quo. And so we love that uh, we can find diversity in your books. Um, so appreciate that. Um, and we want to know what you do to prepare for writing uh, characters that are different from you culturally. Like, well, all your characters are different because it's paranormal. But do you know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so I live in Auckland. So I, I was born in Fiji, which has a... Two, two sort of main cultures. And so I grew up bilingual, uh, like, from a very young age. I don't actually know when I, like, I grew up, my, my mother tongue or my first language is officially Hindi, but I've been speaking English as long as I can remember also. So it's not something that I remember learning as such. I think that's important because from Fiji, which is already multicultural, Um, And a lot of people there speak three languages. Um, I came to New Zealand, specifically to Auckland, and Auckland is often referred to as the capital of the Pacific. It is probably the most diverse city in the Pacific. And I went to, you know, a big public high school. And just, it is, we had, um, they had this thing where in our school hall they would put flags up from every country where a student was represented, whether it was they were born there or their family was from there. And there were, I don't even know how many flags there were. There were a lot of flags. Mm I think I want to give that history because I want to say that the diversity aspect was always natural to me. Like for me, when I sit down to start writing, it feels incorrect to write it um, just in a monotone, you know what I mean? Like in a, in a single, for example, in, just in a single ethnicity. Um, because all my life I've been surrounded by this great big sort of melting pot of cultures and ethnicities and different kinds of people. And then um, I've also traveled quite a bit. I lived in Japan uh, for three years. And Japan is probably the the place I lived at that was the least diverse just because it's, um, you know, their population is so high, so there's not much immigration. But the program I was in actually had graduates from all over the world. So I ended up really good friends with a whole bunch, um, actually, of Hawaiians <laughs> and um, all these other people from all over the world. And so I think it all feeds into how I think. And I also think it's given me greater empathy for different um, different ways of living, um, different people. Uh, and so when I research, um, first I try to think, can I do this justice? Can I write this character in a way that does it justice? 
But I never come to it as, okay, so I'm also brow, quite important to me too. (laughs) (laughs) I never say I'm going to write a brown character or I'm going to write a black character because that's, I think, when you get into the position of maybe stereotyping. So for me, it begins with the character. Who is this character? Let's, for example, take Ashaya Aline. So I saw Ashaya. So I tend to see my characters quite visually in my head. Um, So I saw Ashaya. I saw her skin color. I saw her hair color. But what I saw most of all, she's a scientist. She has a son that she will protect with her life. So the core of Ashaya is not her skin color. The core of Ashaya is this driving force to protect her son. And then the rest of the character is built around that. And so it's a little bit different because I'm writing paranormal. You know, it's different. There are different social norms. There are different cultural norms. When I write contemporary, I do a lot of research to make sure that I can make the character authentic and I'm trying to think if I've ever written a character where I don't actually know someone from that ethnicity that I could chat to or, you know, that where I've been to their house and I've eaten the meals kind of thing and just um, got the vibe of, of how they live. And um, so I've been lucky to have known, you know, many, many different types of people and um, especially through school. I have to admit through school, my school was just, uh, yeah, it was great. I was awesome. I loved it. But, um, yeah, I think the biggest thing I always keep in mind is not to stereotype, always to build the character first. Um, And the ethnicity, so I'll just talk about ethnicity in terms of um, diversity. Um, That's just one part of their characterization. It is not who they are. Um, and, And this is because I write many brown characters and many black characters and many characters of all kinds. And so there's never one person who has to be like, okay, I am the sole representative of all the people of color in this entire series. (laughs) So, um, yeah, they all have to be unique. They're people. And I think that's the most critical thing. I begin, yeah, that's how I cast. I cast people. And, yeah, that's that's probably the best way to put it. Like, advice, I think, for other authors who are maybe (laughs) concerned about, like, not my story to tell or like concerned about how, you know, Oh, I don't want to put someone in the book because X, Y, Z reasoning. Like, I think that that's a great way to say it. It's just like, you should build your character based on like who they are, how they feel. And then, you know, as that comes about, they can, they won't be a stereotype. You won't have to worry about them being a stereotype because you already have like the core of who they are, which is. Exactly. Because, um, you know, each person is different. Each person is different. And for some people, um, let's say the the racial element of their makeup might be really critical, depending on the type of story you're telling in your book. Um, I think um, Alyssa Cole's When No One Was Watching. Have you guys read that? It's really good. It's a thriller. Not yet. I want to. It's on my list. Obviously, that's a critical element of that um, the main character's makeup and what drives her. Whereas um, if you take a, a, a black character and you're writing a fluffy romance where she's falling in love with her neighbor who yeah. used to be her best friend's, you know, uh, her brother's <laughs> best friend, 
that's different, you know. It's not going to be all about the the racial aspect or the hist- racial history, which is a big part of um, Alyssa's character. It's a completely different dynamic. Um, and I think that's where people get hung up. They think it's that thing of, oh, I can only write it a certain way. But again, it's about people. It's about individuals. And that is the core. Um, always think of each character as an individual. They are not a monolith. You know, I'm Indian, but I'm, I'm an Indian of uh, born in Fiji. You know, I am completely different from culturally from an Indian who might have been born in India or an Indian who was born in Ghana. And again, I grew up in New Zealand. You know, it's who I am is quite unlike any other Indian uh, character you might meet. So just always keep that in mind that people are individuals, even if we belong to a group. I think that's like um, a very interesting because I, I have this conversation like with my sisters a lot of times. So like I am black. I live in the United States. So I fall under African-American, African-American culture, African-American, whatever. However, yeah. like my dad is from Costa Rica. My, we grew up like touring on a tour bus. Um, you know, I went, I didn't have another black person in my school until I was like in the sixth grade. Um, like the way I grew up, I don't feel like whenever I watch a show on TV, that's like, oh, this is a very African-American show. This is very, this is what, it, it doesn't resonate to me, you know? And I want it to so badly, but it, it just doesn't. And it wasn't mm-hmm. until I moved to Miami and then I met like, um, like Afro-Caribbeans and more people from, you know, Jamaica, Trinidad and them that I had actually a, sim- a closer cultural experience and similarities than like, and like an African-American specific culture. Do you, do you know what I mean? So it's, yeah. it's very interesting. It depends. There's so many things that, it, that, that um, you know, make up a person and how they grew up. Uh, so I, I, I enjoy when you say that because it is definitely like <laughs> a thing that I've encountered a lot. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it's about getting the subtleties of who a person is, you know, all the, like you said, all the threads, like, I love what you said about grew up in a tour bus. I'm like, Ooh, tell me more. Shawnee's family is like a troop of, a troop of creatives and singers. I love it. I love it. That is the, see, like, that is such a great character, you know, on a book, if you wrote that character, what would you be focusing on? You would be focusing on that family and that, that background that's made you who, who you are today, you know? So, um, yeah, I think it's really, really important not to fall into the trap of thinking I'm writing X, Y, Z um, in terms of a diversity checkbox kind of thing. That's a terrible way to write diversity. Um, write have, people, you know, write, write, write people you would like to know or, or you wouldn't. I mean, villains. Villains can be super interesting to write as well. Some of my favorite people I write are villains. I hate them if I meet <laughs> them, but they're great fun to write, you know. Yeah, I, I just think everybody, um, regardless of uh, skin color, culture, um, whatever, everyone should have a chance to be in books in every role, you know, whether that's the hero, the villain, um, or anything in between. Have you seen, because um, you've been publishing now for 
like 18 years uh, or 17 years. Have you seen an evolution in the marketplace in terms of like, you know, what's kind of quote unquote allowed or what's as you're publishing, like even, oh, I want to do this male, male romance. And they're like, oh, sorry, I can't do that right now. Like, have you seen an evolution and what is like, do people push back? Like, oh, actually, could you change this? Or because you're in paranormal, have you sort of been able to um, avoid some of those different things? Because we've had a few, like Suzanne Brockman, we talked to, and like, she had a ton of pushback in her early books um, for using the word penis, but like also for, <laughs> also for having like gay characters in early books and also for having brown characters and black characters. And she just kind of had to keep shoving it down the throats of all these different people to get them like little steps at a time to get to the the books that she and stories she was really passionate about. Um, so it's interesting. I, I've been quite lucky in a sense. So I started my career at uh, Harlequin uh, Silhouette, and obviously those there are more strict guidelines there because these are category romances and people expect certain things. And so I can't say much about that because obviously I went in knowing what mm-hmm. I was getting into. You know, right. so that this is what they. They were, and that was fine at that point in my career. That was what I was happy to write. And, um, but when I sold my very first paranormal, which was Left to Sensation, I was very lucky with my editor, Cindy Huang, who really just said, yeah, go for it. So I never had any kind of pushback to say, no, you can't put this in a book. There have been times where I've been like, Cindy, I'm thinking of doing this. And she'll be like, mm, okay, <laughs> and, then, and then we go ahead and do it. So I feel like she's really given me freedom. And that was really important, especially at the start of my career, because obviously I was I was new, you know, uncertain. And I'm now in, in publishing years, you know, I think I tweeted that I'm like 2,000 years old or something now. So obviously I'm now more capable of standing up for myself if necessary but I wasn't as much at that time because we all grow sure um and so I was really lucky and she is still my editor and I she can never retire I have told her this (laughs) (laughs) but um so for me personally you know the uh as as a good example is probably the guilt hunter series when I started that um was very unusual in um a romance series to have a continuing couple but it's a romance. It's not an urban fantasy. Um, it originally was put out as urban fantasy romance because no one quite knew what to do with it, but they let me write it anyway. So um, I've been, you know, that I've been in a good position uh, in that way. But in terms of the overall publishing environment, I, I have seen a definite change. I have definitely seen um, a lot more avenues open up in terms of what authors are able to write. And self-publishing changed things a lot because now um, stories that maybe didn't have a mass market appeal or people thought didn't have mass market appeal could be put out. And then suddenly people are realizing, oh, hey, actually there is this huge market for, um, for example, male-male romance, Mm -hmm. for example. And, um, yeah, so there has been growth and there has been, uh, in a good way, I think, a, a really spreading of the wings. So there's material for everyone, you know, whatever you you want to read, I think it's possible to find it now, uh, whereas 
possibly before it was much smaller because um, now there are much fewer barriers to publication, which I think has really been the game changer. But I just think the world has changed and publishing changes with the world, even though it might not seem like it, but because there's such uh, big publishing companies, you know, they're huge. So when they turn, it's like a massive ship turning. It's like takes like five years, you know, <laughs> but they, they have changed um, over the years because it's the bottom line, you know, comes to business. It's like to survive, they have to change and, and grow and give people what they want to read. And you can see that, um, for example, soon after I started my career, Chiclet was just like everywhere. That there were just like the big deals with for Chiclet, and it was just. And now you hardly see it because people have changed, readers have changed what they want. So it's it's a continuously changing process. I find it fascinating. I do think some of the stuff that's um, kind of new now is actually not new. Like some of the. Um, really old school historicals that I grew up reading that I probably shouldn't have been reading at the age I was reading them. But anyway, let's not tell anyone. Um, I see some of that coming back and some of the really over-the-top contemporaries that are really super successful now with the like the twists and the darkness. And um, yeah, it's it's very sort of um, soap opery almost. And, and that to me reminds me of those old school historicals. So uh, I think even as we grow and change some things, are going to keep coming back in style. Some some tropes will never die. Yeah. That, it's always fun. You always want. I don't like. I always tell people I like to. I like to know the hot gas. I like to know. I like to like witness it from afar. I don't like to be right up against it. I don't even like to be one person removed. I like to be like two or three. I just like to like see it through a you know through a book or through a movie or through a foggy window. But I don't want to really be. I don't want gossip in my or like. I don't want drama in my real life. In your real life, exactly, exactly. I just want to, I want to be a part of it though. I want to feel the emotions and I want to like be turn, you know, like the turbulence. And then I just want to put the book away and go about about the rest of my afternoon. (laughs) I I find it interesting. uh, Well, one, everything is cyclical. I mean, in life, just everything keeps coming back around again. Um, And one thing I was talking to Bridget about just like offhand, as we're reading all these books through the podcast, there's stuff that I thought I would love you know, that I'm just not loving. And I I think it's really just the point in life that I'm at now, right? So like I'm in my mid thirties, relationships, what I need out of a relationship now is so much different than what I needed out of a relationship when I was 20. And so so when I'm reading a book and the guy is like, uh, let's just, for example, say like he's uber possessive. When I was 20, I was like, oh man, it's so romantic. Now at 30, when Richard and I were talking about it, we're like, yo, bro, step back. Step back out of my show. (laughs) You know? Don't follow her to a foreign country. You stay away. (laughs) You know? And we're like, there's a very thin line between uh, like super romantic and stalker. Um, You know? But uh, so I'm finding that like, I'm wanting kind of richer stories now out of my romance than I I did before. Um, And so that's just a very interesting change that's, you know, happened that I'm like, oh man, these are like, my go-tos aren't doing it for me anymore. <laughs> so I feel like that is, uh, you know, a cool element um, about it all. Oh, for sure. I think we all change as readers as we grow as well. And I think as a writer, I will say that um, what works also depends on uh, the genre of romance 
I'm working in. So super possessive hero in a paranormal, paranormal is yeah different. faded mate faded mate yeah. we're all about <laughs> it get we it <laughs> we talk about that actually we talk about that a lot about how paranormal allows you to go into the super possessive space without applying the rules of the of yeah. today like yeah, uh, yeah. You know, so we always say like, oh, it's paranormal. Anything. It's paranormal. Anything goes. <laughs> yeah, as like, long as the author can sell it. I, yeah. I'm there for I'm picking it yeah. up. I'm picking it I, up. We were we were reading the Black Dagger Brotherhood and like there's a scene, a male male, where there was no lube talked about yeah. in the scene. And we were no like, prep, no we're prep, like, no lube. No and we're like, <laughs> they're vampires. They're vampires. They heal quick. <laughs> but we don't know what's going on. They're vampires. <laughs> Different species. We don't know. <laughs> That's right. That's right. You can't judge vampires. Uh. Uh, I quickly, and by quickly, I mean for the next 10 minutes, want to talk about sex. So we on the (laughs) podcast are very much proponents of open door because it feels like when you are a great writer and you're taking me on this journey and you've dragged me in with this emotion and they've kissed and then you're like, P.S. It's the next morning. And you're like, but who said what? And who was vulnerable? And who, like, we want to be in the soup. We want to be there. And so, like, have you ever thought, like, oh, maybe I shouldn't write this much sex, or maybe I shouldn't have an open door, or maybe I should have more sex? Like, how do you balance that in your stories? Uh, so, I learned a really good uh, tip while writing. No, it's not a tip. It's more just like a, and it's not a rule. It's just more something to keep in mind when I'm writing, which is that a love scene or a sex scene has to have the same impact on a story as any other scene in the book. So it either has to move the story forward, move the story backwards, because, you know, people, two people having sex might blow everything up, mm-hmm. or um, it, it, or it causes a ripple effect or something. You know, it cannot just be there oh, okay, now I need 4,000 more words, so I'm just going to write a sex scene and then it'll be, I'll have my 4,000 words, you know, because what's the point? You know, the best scenes, um, love scenes work because of emotion, because Mm -hmm. we're involved. Even if it's, um, so I'm not talking about erotica because that's a separate thing. I'm talking about, say, erotic romance. Mm -hmm. Even in an erotic romance, you're reading for the romance and so you need that romantic element, that emotional element in every scene. And so that's critical and that's how I write it. So when you look at my books, you'll see some books actually have more love scenes, some have less. So Branded by Fire famously begins with a love scene, which was the first time I I did that, but it worked for those two characters because they were just like, boom, fire. And that's a sexy book because these are two changelings that they're really physical and they interact a lot in that way. Whereas if you look at Caressed by Ice, I think, uh, which was my side hero, he's a virgin, he's a, he's a former assassin, he is completely shut off. He is not going to jump into bed with anyone straight away. And then the heroine is, you know, she's, she's just in a terrible place. So it makes no sense for these two to have a physical relationship until the point they are ready. And I remember getting um, emails from a reader who was reading and she was sending me emails as she's reading. She's like, I'm going to die. They're never going to get, oh my God, please, please. But then when it happened, you know, it was worth it because it was, 
it fit those two characters. And so everything flows from the characters, even how I write love scenes, like the words used. Um, so important. So, words are so important. That's like part of the reason is we're both very like imaginative. We like the dirty talk. We like the physical. We like to like, like, I, I, I don't, I mean, I, I do like obviously descriptions, but like the description of like licking a neck isn't that exciting by itself. It's like the combination of like, what are they saying? What are they feeling mixed with that, that I can like get exactly. in the headspace for. Yeah. It's like, you know, what's at stake here for mm-hmm. them, you know? So if, if they've been waiting, let's say uh, they have been waiting all this time and they didn't think they could be together and then he kisses her on the neck. Oh. There's such power there because you're like, oh, my it's happening. Yeah. It's happening. <laughs> and so, yeah, yeah. So for me, um, I, it, I really do write it in terms of what does the story need? What do these characters need? Um, if they need, um, do they need it? You know, is it going to be short and sharp? Because these two are just like, I'm going to rip your clothes off and then we're just going to lie here and be like, Oh, okay, I need a cigarette now, even though I don't smoke, you know, or is it going to be slow and tender and gentle? It, it all depends on the characters. Yeah. Um, I have a funny question. So <laughs> I assume that all authors have other author friends and romance authors probably have other romance author friends, even though you're maybe a continent away from most of your contemporaries. Um, do you... Uh, have any like author friends who you trade like passages of your books or full books as pre-readers or do you have your pre-readers who are like you know consistent people who always read the sort of not the first draft obviously but like the first sort of solid draft you have like a group of people are they author friends or are they more uh reader friends I guess they're readers yeah okay yeah my my when I need feedback I will go to readers I I do have friends who are authors and who swap with each other, but I am too much of a control freak. And readers read differently from authors. For sure. And um, I did try when I was starting out. I said, oh, this was before I was published. You know, I did the whole uh, exchanging manuscripts with another person who was writing and it just didn't work for me. And that's not to say it can't work. I know another friend who swears by it, like that's says her best work comes from, you know, having that back and forth with another author. But um, I prefer a very limited tight group of people who give me feedback and um, my editor and my agent. And then prior to the book going to them, you know, if I need feedback on particular book I'll ask very particular people that I know read that kind of material or have read the entire series or something like that um that's what works for me yeah it's like uh like we both work in production but before I worked in production I was able to very easily enjoy a movie and then when we started working in production, now every movie, it's like, how do you think they did that scene? Was that oh like, gosh. did they did they take the camera? Did they drop it? Like- my husband gets so mad at me. I'm like, ooh, what a nice crane shot. And he's like, shut up. And I'm like, oh, did you see that? Did you see that that hidden cut they just did there? That was really sneaky. And he's really like, well done. shut up. <laughs> yeah, I think. I see um, the mechanics behind the exactly. creation. Yeah. That's how read it, uh, writers read quite yeah. often. 
So that's actually my test of, is this a writer I'm going to enjoy reading, which is I forgot about that the fact that this book is written and I am not taking it apart. I'm just in the story. So for me, that is like, whoa, okay, must read everything this person has ever written. (laughs) That's that's exactly it. If I watch a a movie or something and I've I've gotten lost and I'm not looking at the logistics, I'm like, oh my God, this was a great movie. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. When you just said, read everything you've ever written, I just want to say that really spoke to my soul because that's who I am. That is who she the is. Second, the second I read one of your books, I was like, Shawnee, I am in love with this. And then I read all, <laughs> she then, read like, I read all the rest of the books in that series. And then I was like, I'm just going to dip my toe in the Guild Hunters. I'm just going to read book one, see how it goes. And I read all of the books and I was like, <laughs> where is the next one? <laughs> That's and what then I was like, like I was like, I'm not going to start Shy Changelings. I can't devote that much time at the moment. But next year, I think. That will be. She did. Year. She was like, shut. She was like, Johnny, I have so many jobs on my plate. I can't start this series. I can't. <laughs> I was like, I can't do it. I can't do it right now. I'm going to wait till next year because I know I'm going to read all of them in a row. <laughs> I need to have yeah. mental, I need to have some space for that. I feel like um, when we started this podcast, the most fun that's come out of it all is just finding other people who are nerds like us. <laughs> like, <laughs> like ex- you know, that are like, yeah, of course, when I find a book I love, I read the entirety of it. I don't go to sleep. I don't eat. Yeah. I'm not yeah. even sure I shower. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and somebody else is like, me too. And you're like, yeah. oh, oh my God. Be our friend. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I don't need sleep. Oh, it's 5 a.m. already. Might as well just yeah. stay awake. Might as well just the finish the book at breakfast. <laughs> so <laughs> bad. Right. Oh my God. I, um, I'll be at, I have a one and a three-year-old and I'll be at breakfast <laughs> with my Kindle propped up while I'm like feeding. I'm like, she's not going to remember this. She's eight months old. I'm just feeding the baby while reading my Kindle. <laughs> oh my goodness. Love it so much. Um, That's awesome. I have, I guess we, we, I'm always curious about when you started, you know, in 2000. I think your first book was published or 2002, 2003. So obviously not in the same social media landscape and like ease of connecting with an author, ease of connecting with your audience, Facebook groups, all that stuff wasn't as prevalent then as it is now or even existing in some cases. Um, Have you found over the years that it's been easier to sort of uh, do your own marketing of the books or your own outreach to fans as the years have gone on to help build your community or have you found since you're published traditionally they're doing like you know media spends and you're in Barnes and Noble and so it's just kind of rolling through um so it's probably a little different from for me than for say authors based in the states so my first books were published in the U.S. and I was I was in Japan for part of it and then I was in New Zealand so for me I've always had to do distance uh, promotion. So it wasn't like, so at the time I was published, like you said, it was more a physical landscape. So a lot of authors were, for example, going to bookstores, signing their books, um, or shipping their bookmarks everywhere. Mm -hmm. And for me, I had to find other ways to reach people. Um, so I probably adopted the online space earlier than a lot of authors because that was the easiest way for me to stay in touch with my readers. And, even now, um, when my publisher does do, um, you know, marketing for me, I am still um, in touch with my readers. You know, like I really love that interaction um, on a personal level and um, I like it. And I think because I like it, 
it's it's just something I do. It's not like I've never thought of it as um, like a burden or anything like that. It's just it's fun because when I was when there was no other way for me to get in touch with readers, I I, I think originally my first I had a, I've had a website from my very first book, and then I had a blog, and so the blog is probably the oldest social media I have. And I used, and that used to be way more active just because, you know, everybody was commenting on blogs more and um, yeah, it just started from there. So it definitely has become easier. So I think Twitter has probably been the biggest game changer in terms of interactions just because it's so one-on-one, like you can tweet anybody and um, you know, they might or might not reply, but their, their ability is there. And I've always had a email address that people could write to. Um, and I, I can't remember when Facebook began, but it was, it's like been a long time now. Five. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think um, it definitely has made things easier, the online space, because, for example, when I was, um, I did do some um, bookstore mailings with bookmarks and things. But for me, you know, that was so expensive from New Zealand and I didn't really have much money as a baby writer. So being able to do events now um, online has just just been a game changer. And I found that interesting, especially over this year, 2020, the, <laughs> the year we all stayed home. <laughs> um I found that some of the the online events I'm doing are just just going really fabulously and people from around the world are able to attend. And I really hope that continues on into the future and, you know, even, you know, after we get past this and and there are more physical in-person events, um, I would love to do more of like the Zoom or Crowdcast type event because I really feel like, again, it's opened up the world on another level. Yeah, I'm excited. And also like opened you up. We signed up for the Sarah J. Moss talk with you and we're super excited about it. And it's like, you you most likely wouldn't be in the same room with her, maybe at one conference a year, possibly if you both happen to attend. Um, And like, that's a cool thing too, just to. It is for sure. Yeah. Like, um, even when I used to go to, I used to do like one American conference a year, most years. But even there, I would only see, you know, a certain number of my author buddies, like you said, like whoever happened to be at Mm -hmm. that conference. And so a lot of my relationships are online, but they're very strong. You know, I think um, a relationship is what you put into it and it's not necessarily, it has to be in person. It can be, it can even be person you've never met in real life. You know, there are friends, I consider friends who I've never met in real life and yet we've talked all the time you know we've had online communications and we might have skyped or zoomed whatever and um yeah yeah it's fantastic I like it we have a few of our patrons who we uh watch movies with and hang out with oh guys we love you (laughs) and it's the same way it's like we never met them we may never meet them in real life they're not all in the U.S. but um it's been fun to just like be friends and chat about books and and me yeah. and Shawnee actually were doing the podcast remotely for like seven months this year. So oh, uh, COVID, yeah. <laughs> possible. It's possible to be great friends and not be in the same room. I am I have a question. I have a money question because Bridget and I we love to talk money. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So when in your journey, were you able to fully support yourself writing? Like what was that transition from like um, it being something that you had to supplement to being something that you were like, yeah, this is it. I'm making money. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So it was, I'm trying to think when I went full time. So I'm very conservative financially, which is like, I think someone else might have been like a couple of years earlier. They might have said, oh yeah, I can, I can do it now. But me, I'm, I would have just panicked because I need like a, I need to know that I could support myself for at least a year or two years if, you know, if it all goes terribly wrong or something. Mm-hmm. So um, I want to say maybe four or five books into the Side Changeling series, maybe a bit further on, but yeah. Um, so prior to that, you know, I was doing the contemporary uh, romances with uh, Silhouette and I do have friends who make a living there and make, you know, do very well, but I wasn't able to sell enough books. So with category romance, with the advances and stuff, you have to sell multiple books a year um, to the publisher to, to sort of make an income. And I never quite fit right. Um, it's not their fault. It's not my fault. It's just the fact that I don't write to what they were really needing. So I only really sold, I think my best year, I sold them two books and that was never going to be enough. Um, so it was when I sold the single titles, which is the, the paranormals, you know, the big books. Um, that's when I started to get the hope of, okay, might be doing it. And also I'd been compulsively saving since I was at university. So I worked all through university. So I wouldn't, you know, try not to get debt. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I lived at home. I didn't move out. I mean, it's a bit different from the US because my university was like a 15-minute bus ride from <laughs> my parents' house. So I was like, okay, that's just stupid to move out and pay rent when I could be saving money so I could one day, because I really wanted to be a writer, but I knew I would need, you know, some kind of cushion. So I'd been saving and I'd also been working full-time, writing. Um, and then when I came back from Japan, I didn't get a full-time job. I had worked in the libraries uh, through university. And, um, so I went back to the libraries and was able to get a part-time job. And it was, I loved working in the libraries, just the best people work in libraries. And like one of my, um, fellow, fellow colleagues is two of them actually were artists, like fine art artists. They were having gallery showings. And then another one was like a rock musician and it was great fun. They're good people and great people come to libraries because it's all book people. Um, So I actually really loved working there part-time because I still needed that cushion of like, okay, just, I just need to make sure this money is like a regular income. And just even mentally, just because we both work a lot of like our jobs because they're more contract. It's like, I'll make over the course of three months, a ton of money. And then I'll have two months where I'll make zero money. And then I'll have, you know, and so definitely that uh, oh, I know on Friday, every other week, I'll get the exact same amount of money and I can count on that. Even yes. though you're making more money doing the other stuff, mentally it allows the freedom of like, I don't have to have anxiety about this. I don't even have to think about it. I could just do my creative thing and just live my life. So I yeah, get I that think that's 100%. A, that's a really good point about the the certainty and the anxiety because it is contract work. You know, I'm not employed by a publisher it's contractual. So, um, yeah, I worked at the libraries actually for quite a bit 
part-time. I actually really enjoyed it. And again, it was that certainty. I stopped finally when I got so busy that I actually was like, okay, I have to choose. (laughs) Okay. I have to actually take, take the jump now and, and, you know, do it. Cause you had to do um, more, more writing. So you needed more writing time to do. I needed more writing time because, uh, yeah. So I needed to do it full time. And also at that point, I didn't have an assistant or anything. So I was, you know, starting to build this career, starting to do uh, multiple books a year. And I was doing, you know, marketing stuff and, um, and slowly it was getting on top of me because it was, it was just me. My sister did used to help me back then as well. When I, when couldn't pay her anything, you know, she's amazing. (laughs) And, um, but, um, yeah, it really came to a point where it's like, okay, I actually have savings now. Uh, I think I should just just do it. Um, and I, it's been fantastic. You know, I've been, I feel really lucky to be able to do what I love. Um, I think one thing that helped me, and I would give this advice to any other writers who are maybe starting out, is don't set yourself insurmountable goals. So my goal was just to make enough money that I could support myself as a writer. So I wasn't thinking like I have to be a big bestseller or I have to sell this many millions of books. I literally just wanted to be able to do what I love. And so I, my goal was to make just a regular income, just enough, you know, to support myself um, and, yeah, do, do this for a living. Nice. I- no, Shani has a good question for you coming up, but I want to ask one more because I'm selfish. So <laughs> what is it like when you travel? And because I know we were reading other interviews that your books originally, fun fact, you guys, and not a fun fact because it's kind of sad for, for our dear Nalini, but your books weren't actually for sale in New Zealand. So you're publishing books, but they're not in bookstores, which I think would be so like all weird because you're telling people, no, I am published, I promise. And then they like go to the bookstore and can't find your book. So what is it like now that you have so many bestsellers, like traveling around the world, you must pop into bookstores and see your book in German or see your book in, you know, name, you know, fill in the blank because you've been translated to so many things. Like, what is that like when you're like, whoa, here I am. This is awesome. Yeah. It's, it's basically that it's still a thrill every single time, you know, (laughs) I remember going into an airport bookstore. I can't remember which airport it was, but I, my book was there in the airport <laughs> bookstore and I was so excited. And one time a reader sent me a picture and I think it was, um, I'm pretty sure it was like I can just blade and it was in a bookstore in um, South America in an airport. And I was like, yeah, I'm still so happy. And I remember going to Germany. Um, so I've been to Germany a few times because they have the love letter convention in Berlin, which is a romance reader convention. And um, so we just went into a bookstore and I was with my mom and um, and she's like, here's your book. Because um, she could see my name, obviously. <laughs> um, it was in German. She's like, you should tell the bookstores so you can sign it because she's my mom. And she's going to be like, you should tell everyone and sign sure. all the books all over the world. But I was like too shy. And I was like, no, 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 that would just be weird. But I still get this. Um, yeah, it's amazing. I never take it for granted. I still get such a kick when I see my books anywhere or when readers send me pictures from different parts of the world. You know, I have a couple of readers um, from Nigeria, 
who've been reading me for a long time. So every so often I get an email from Nigeria and, and I'm like, yay, you know, all the way in, in a part of the world I haven't visited yet. So, um, yeah, I'm no, not going to lie. I would sneaky, sneaky sign every single book I came across. I'd be like, <laughs> dear reader, I was in this bookstore. You're welcome, Bridget Chun. Dear reader, it's really me, Bridget Chun. Special signed copy. <laughs> I tell you, one thing's been really funny is, um, so uh, New Zealand is like a lot of places, which is like, um, what get front what gets front store space is sometimes not romance you know romance mm, tends sure. to have its own section and stuff but uh, so with my latest thriller my publisher was able to get it um like at the front of store like in a big pile so I went into my my favorite mall and my mom's like again with my mom because we went out for coffee I mean my mom and my sister and they're like there's your book and it was like this mountain of my book my thriller at the front and I was just like <laughs> my face my face I was like it was great it was it was probably um it has been really cool you know once the book started appearing yeah. in the bookstores here and um yeah I think half half the family wasn't sure what I did for a living before but you know they're like oh yeah. she does actually write books now that's, that's <laughs> great she hasn't just been it hasn't she been hasn't a long con hold <laughs> oh. hold away in her apartment doing nothing for <laughs> 10 years <laughs> I remember like so so because um I, uh, Bridget and I, we create content, but I'm a YouTuber, especially for many years. And my grandmother would always say like, oh, Shawnee, she make the little videos. Oh, it's so <laughs> sweet. Oh, so nice. You know, meanwhile, I'm putting like the, the production value into these things, you know, she's like, oh, so great. You know, but I knew she didn't know what I did, like really know. And I remember yeah. the day, like I, I took her to YouTube studios and I walked her through all the, the sets and the different rooms and then to like the editing suite. And we sat down and I pulled up an edit and I showed her what I was working on. And I could see like the light in her eyes go off like, oh, and then she told me, she's like, so you like, you really do something like you. Re and I was like, yes, I really do something. <laughs> she's like you have a job yes I have a job Shawnee, Shawnee did I ever tell you that my mom told people I worked for YouTube for like five years I oh she worked she works for YouTube and I was like no I don't don't tell people that that's a, that's the same thing everybody thinks I work for YouTube that's that's exactly yeah. how my parents say it like tell oh she works that. for YouTube and I'm like ah you know and then you give up because you know, you're kind of like there's no way to I don't I don't not work for, <laughs> for I, yeah, I know. <laughs> but I find that to be very interesting I think for a lot of people um getting their head around the idea that someone is in a creative profession and it is a profession is quite difficult and so I've never taken it like super badly when people are just like blank faced especially um in my culture like for an Indian I mean it's like it's like cliche you know doctor lawyer engineer, teacher, mm -hmm. you know, they're the acceptable professions. You can maybe become an accountant also, but, um, and I was a lawyer. <laughs> so, and so I never took it badly when people like years into my career would say, Oh, so when are you going back to law? And I'd be yeah. like, yeah, no, not going to happen. But I understood this sort of lack of realization because it's such a new thing like of my entire family extended everyone I think I'm the only one um in this kind of a job so 
I understood. But what I really loved seeing over the past few years is they've realized what I do for a living. Um, is they're becoming really positive towards creative choices by younger members of the family. And that's I kind nice. of feel like that I've had a little hand in that because I've seen showing them, hey, you can be successful going in a sort of non-traditional way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think sometimes, you know, I know some people get really annoyed, but me, I'm more just sort of like, yeah, I kind of get like this is, you guys are old school, that's what you know. And so it's going to take a little bit of time. And I mean, it helps when they figure out, hey, you actually make a living. That's a big mm-hmm. deal, you know, for a lot of families, I think, to, to know, actually, you can support yourself. Oh, actually, you haven't been living in your parents' basement all this time kind of thing. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I just want to say as a side note, because um, as I was like looking through all the titles of your books and stuff, um, and I was looking at Archangel's Son, I get very excited when I see a brown person on the cover of a book. Uh, I just, I'm putting this out here because a lot of times, when I see the covers of books, it's, there are always white folks on the cover. Even if there's black folks in the series or whatever, or if there's brown folks in the in the book, they're actually not on the cover. They use some other abstract situation or whatever. And Archangel, he's just he's just out there. He's like, oh, this about this about to go down. Um, so, <laughs> I so. love that cover. <laughs> yeah, no, I I love that he's so out there because that is Titus. You know, I was yeah. like, okay, I need him to be just like. Here I am. <laughs> that's, that's because it's art. Those covers are like, um, they're art. So Tony yeah. Morrow is the artist. So he wants instructions kind of thing. Like he wants to know what you want. And I'm like, Titus, Titus thinks he is the man, right? Yeah. So he is not going to be like in any way shy. So it he's was like, basically just. He's not, not going to turn his back and throw his head no. over his shoulder. <laughs> no. It was like. Boom, you know, I really wanted that presence. And I just, I love what he came up with. I love that he's just like, and he's so front and center in that cover. Just his personality, I feel, just punches through. Yeah. yeah. I get, I, it's just, it's very exciting, especially when, I mean, so newer authors I'm reading, you know, especially black authors have black people on the cover of their books. Mm. But it's always this kind of, um, which I think is great. Uh, but it's also a special treat when there's authors that you've been reading for a long time where you haven't necessarily seen that many brown people or ever. Like I remember picking up a Courtney Milan and a um, historical and there was a brown girl on the cover and I, and I like did a double take because I was like, wait, yeah. wait, what? You know, like. <laughs> um, I totally so, understand. Yeah. So I get very, this, I never stop getting a thrill every time that happens because there was just so many years of reading romance where you just didn't see yourself or there was no sort of representation of anything, not even just like Brown, but it was like Asian or this or that, whatever it was, Um, you know? So, so it's just cool. So that was just my side note. I actually have a different question for you Um, because Bridget and I, I mean, we love movies. We love sci-fi. We love fantasy. And so we're curious as to if your books um, are being optioned um have people talked to you about it is it something that you want to do like we just want to kind of know um so there's been interest uh it's quite funny actually there are quite a few people who work in quite high up in um movie television who really love um some of the series um but the sticking point is always the budget 
I remember I remember one having a conversation with someone who works in finance in Hollywood. So she is the person who does, is the money person for a lot of uh, very big budget movies. And she said, you know, for most TV series, the budget, for that budget, you would get half a wing. So my angel could just fly around yeah. one wing in a circle. <laughs> and um, so... Uh, it's never gotten to the point where someone's taken it on, but there have been some very passionate people who have tried and they keep trying, you know, they, they keep um, uh, trying to find the right person. And for me, I'm, I'm open to it because I've always understood that media, visual media is different from Russian media. So I know that a, a, so a production based on my work is not going to be identical to the work and I'm okay with that. Like I want to, I want the heart of the story there. Don't necessarily need to have every single piece, you know, identical to the book. So, and also the people I've, I've talked to over the years um, who have been interested, we've had really in-depth conversations about what's important to me and including the diversity. So the people that have uh, always, uh, you know, agreed to some kind of shopping clause or that kind of, you know, something going on. Um, they've all been people who have been excited by the fact that it is a diverse cast um, and that these are big stories. You know, there was one person who was very interested in the side changing series and just really knew the series really, really well. And she knew how we could structure it so you would see characters um, that have a part to play later on. So, um, you know, I'm open to it. And if one day it happens, that'll be great. Um, but my agent is actually based in Los Angeles. And, you know, she kind of gave me some really good advice at the start when we had the first sort of media interest um, or like a TV movie interest. And she said, you know, it's great. Just be happy, but yeah. don't take anything like to heart until basically, you know, it's signed in blood. Yeah. Until it's on screen. Yeah. They've given you all the money, you know, yes. and it's on yes. the screen, you know, yes, so on screen. Um, you guys work in that. So you know how, how yeah. many things just fall over. So, yeah. yeah. So I basically, um, I would like to I, see, I mean, on a talking budgetary scale, I would like to see some of the rugby players with their nice <laughs> yeah. thick thighs on camera. Sailor can dig some holes for me in slow motion with the sled <laughs> glistening down his back while she's fanning herself from the window of the school. And, and we can all, all we can all lust with her. Best and of all, small budget. No small sci-fi. Budget. Small budget. budget. That's, That's right. Small budget. Like from your from your lips to somebody's ears. So um, yeah. I mean, they would make fun movies. You know what I think would actually make a really, really good movie if we don't look at the big budget stuff, which is a paranormal mm. and urban fantasy, mm. is my upcoming thriller, Quiet in Her Bones. Ooh. I think that would actually make the most like a creepy, dark, thrillerish movie. Yeah. I just think it's just, it's got all the elements. It like, um, I like TV and movies as well. So I say this, I was like, I feel like this would make like a super cool movie. Yeah. So hopefully I mean, someone like, else. If it's that. in the vein of like Gone Girl, Girl on a Train, like those movies did incredibly well. So yeah, that, that genre translates really well to yes screen. it does to the screen yeah yeah I love um I love watching suspense and thrillers on screen so yeah that would be cool you know anything would oh be cool God. but fingers crossed yeah. anything would be cool um, anything would be good is there something that you wish that you got asked 
in interviews more or that you want to like gush about in the interviews more? Oh, um, huh. Don't know. Um, you guys have been really good, actually. I, I most of the time it's like, oh, I wish I didn't get asked this question every single time. Oh, well, so that's a good one. What's a question you wish you never got asked again? And then we'll, we'll let the people know in case they interview you in the future. <laughs> uh, this is a bit tongue in cheek, but I get asked the Ilium question like three times a day. I'm sure you do. <laughs> Five times a day. I'm sure you do. Because the people no, want what the people want, Nalini. <laughs> I was hoping you might just say it. I would have cut it out of the episode if you told me to, but, and by I would have, Shawnee would have cut it out, but, uh, I was just hoping you might just give me a cheeky smile or something, you know? (laughs) No, I'm I'm good at, I'm good at keeping secrets about the books. The funny thing is in real life, I can't keep secrets, like happy secrets. Like if I buy someone a present and it's meant to be for their birthday next month, I'll be like, guess what I got you? Guess what I got you? And I'll just tell them because I can't keep a happy secret. But I can keep book secrets. <laughs> I just got Shawnee a one pound Reese's cup. So each cup is a half a pound. It's an enormous thing. And I was going to leave it on the desk where she works at my house when we're working together in the same room. And then I, I lasted 30 seconds when I took a picture and sent it to her. And I was like, look what I got you. <laughs> That's like me. That's like me. I, I, have, I have a, like, a, there's a trick for when you tell a toddler like, um, like, so say you get like a Father's Day gift, you know, for whatever, for your husband and the top, the kid knows that you did. Well, they will yeah. immediately tell because kids have that thing where they'll just immediately <laughs> tell exactly what's going on. So the trick to it is telling them something they're allowed to tell. So it's like, okay, oh. we're not telling dad that his, we got him some socks, but what you can tell him is that his feet will be warm. You know, like you give them <laughs> something you can tell. So I'm the exact same way. A happy secret will bust me apart. So, so I always say. Gotta like, drop hints. <laughs> yeah. So I, I always have like something I say, or I always go. I'm keeping a secret from you and it is a surprise. It is a surprise <laughs> and I'm keeping the secret. <laughs> <laughs> because I won't pass. Oh, it's hilarious. <laughs> I'm suspicious. I'm like, it's like, don't be suspicious. Don't, be suspicious. <laughs> don't look at me. Don't look at me. <laughs> oh my gosh. Nalini, oh, this has been such a pleasure. Thank you so oh, much Nalini. for calling on our podcast. We, we really appreciate it. I'm yes. so excited. The lady about... saying, you're the bomb diggity. Let me just bomb, say. Bomb diggity. <laughs> bomb diggity. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for hanging in with us, romance readers. Head over to Instagram to continue chatting with us. We're super friendly. We want to cackle with you. We want to know what your favorite sex scene was. And we need more book recommendations. If you want to read along with us, go to our website, romanceataglance.com, to see what we're reading next. And we'll see you next podcast.